Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Nuts. That was fucking crazy, right? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Richard Lawson. We're here to discuss the third and biggest bombshell episode of the HBO series Succession, Connor's Wedding. I'm fine. Let's just enjoy the sham marriage and the death of romance. It's going to be great. And later on, we'll be hearing from the bride herself. Justine Loop, who plays Willa, talked to Vanity Fair about saying goodbye to the show and the cast Call Me Maybe dance party on the red carpet. But first, a quick recap of the most did-that-just-happen episode of the show, Connor's Wedding. The episode starts with a very alive Logan ordering Roman to terminate Jerry. Uh, Dad? I mean... You are with me. You weren't just fucking me around. Uh, well, sure, yeah, okay, yeah. We'll make it tidy afterwards. The Roy kids board the boat for Connor's wedding, but a major plot twist awaits. Hello? Fucky sucky brigade, how can I help you? Hey, Roman. Yeah. Hey, uh, your dad is very sick. And the emotionally challenged Roy children, all of a sudden, had emotions. They think, they think dad died. What? Yeah. No. I'm sorry. No, um, no, I can't have that. Connor and Willa decide to tie the knot despite the death of the patriarch. Could something, could come out of something bad. And the battle over Roy Co. Waystar officially kicked off. But the teams are a bit hazy. And in terms of your roles at the company? We intend to, we intend to shepherd it through its, whatever its future may be, but we'll be there. We intend to be there. So, Chris, um, my brag is that I'd already seen this episode before. I know. Aaron, I'm so and I was mad at you. Very, I think I did a good job of keeping a secret in my review in, in, on this podcast. You really did. Um, so I have to ask, how shocked were you? It sounds crazy, given that the show is literally called Succession, and from the very first episode, it was telegraphed that Logan is going to die (laughs) at some point, but I was literally gooped and gagged, completely (laughs) shocked for it to happen. And again, it's HBO's playbook. Like, we've seen The Red Wedding. We know that they like to sort of pull the rug out from under us when we least expect it with, like, major character deaths. But for Logan to die on episode three of a 10-episode final season, I was not emotionally prepared for it, and 
for it to happen so unceremoniously yeah. too just like it was giving Elvis like he was like on the toilet and yeah. on a plane yeah. you know and then he's on the floor basically right and we don't even see that we didn't see there was no grand my last wish my last rites my there was no Nate in six feet under narm narm like we, he's just already on the floor he's, uh, uh, unconscious he's dead and yeah. I actually so I have a question so I was absolutely absolutely floored could not could not handle what I was watching yeah um how long do you think he was dead on the floor? Oh, I think when they broke the bathroom door open or unlocked it, he was already dead. He was already dead. And I think there was probably some sort of policy that they had to work on him to, a, you know, like CPR or whatever, yeah. uh, or chest compressions, like as long as they were legally required to or something. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, that's it. And then that was it. I think it was like a very quick thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to the indignity of dying either near or on a toilet. <laughs> It was on a private jet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, so still an Arab class. I mean, you know? environmentally irresponsible, but still sort of fancy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I wrote something about the the episode that went up last night. And apologies that we had to record late, but HBO was not sending out screeners for this episode. They did not um, want us to see this early. <laughs> um, and I said that, like, I what I love uh, sort of artistically about the choice that Jesse Armstrong, who wrote the episode, um, made to have this death so unceremonial, so off camera, mm-hmm. um, is that that's how it is for a lot of people in life. You get a phone call while yeah. you're distracted by something else. You know, you're having a normal day or a big day like a wedding, and then this phone call comes in. And I think that that was reflective of a lot of people in the real world's experience and also meant that we caught the Roy kids so off guard. Okay, just back. um, just like go private, be somewhere private, just speak. It's weird, but speak, okay? Like, you oh, never know, he might hear you. Uh, Dad? Um, hey. Dad. Daddy? That was a rare opportunity to see these characters and thus these actors get to be really flustered and emotionally raw. They're usually... They can act out, but they usually have some sense of, like, there's a second agenda behind mm-hmm. their behavior. This was just pure Pure reaction. nerves. Pure yeah. reaction, pure nerves, pure, you know, just frayed nerves. I thought a lot during the episode about, like, the phrase, like, private and public. Like, you know, because it's yeah. such a private, it's such a personal private moment, you know, the death of their father. And they're all processing it in such finely drawn, specific, true-to-their-character ways. Roman is in complete denial. Roman's yeah. like, he's not dead. He's, like, you know, he's, he's going to be fine. Kendall is... Definitely sad, but there's an edge of like not to use the word gleeful, but there's like it's more complicated. His his emotions. There's a free a, a weight has lifted off his shoulders. Yes. maybe a new one has descended, but like a hundred percent. There is something. Yeah, something is a burden has been lifted yeah. from Kendall, and then Shiv is Princess Spiral, <laughs> like, yeah. like completely yeah. daddy's girl, yeah. like fully blubbering, like a complete mess of a human. And Connor doesn't even know for like 17 minutes, which is, again, right. classic too. Um, but I come back to like this, like the phrase of private and public because it is to see each of the Roy children, because you're totally right. Death is this, you know, it can happen at any time. It's in our modern era. You know, it's a text, it's an email, it's a phone call. Yeah. But to see them have to process this private information in literal public, they're on a boat surrounded by, you know, people for the most part. They're, you know, ashore and they're now they're literally and that was sort of beautiful it's like they're literally ashore like their 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 rock their dad their anchor is gone yeah and they were at sea yeah finding out this news and now they are all emotionally and at sea as well so i thought that oh that that juxtaposition of like this private public moment was so wonderful yeah and i think that watching them you know the way the episode was filmed it, it, it these were not single takes yeah. i mean but they were made to look like you know i, I saw the the sort of post show little wrap up that they do on hbo mm-hmm. 
and they they shot in segments um, this long reaction stuff. And then just one time they did it all the way through. It was twenty seven minutes all wow. the way through. Yeah. yeah, with like three cameras and they're on they're reloading film. And they and were hiding film. They, yeah, they said they yeah. were hiding film on set so they could just keep reloading and, and not break the take, which is so it felt like a yeah. play, not it, to it be did. obsessed well, with that's, plays. I mean uh Kieran Culkin said it felt like doing a one act play. And Mark mm-hmm. Mylod, the director, said that he thinks that a lot of that footage from the the, the whole run through uh was used in the mm-hmm. final episode. And that immediacy, the camera's so close, it got some of the best I mean, these are already good performances, great performances, but like some of the best work out of these actors. If we had to, we'll talk about who gets the the Waystar Royco throne later, but mm-hmm. like Emmy throne? Like Sarah <laughs> Snook. Sarah Snook. Snook Sarah yeah. Snook. Sarah Snook. Yeah. I'm honestly that race thinking about White Lotus and, and Fleischman is in trouble and just like that category at the yeah. Emmys is going to be an absolute bloodbath. But I was so blown out of the water specifically by Sarah Snook's performance this yeah. episode and from like processing, you know, Logan's death and her, you know, daddy, I love you, like sort of flustered. And then like layering in the Tom of it all, like, are you just being nice? Are you telling me my dad isn't dead just to be nice to me? Because right. we are sort of divorced, but sort of still married, layering that in on top of like the family stuff. And then her, because Shiv, and that's the thing that I love about our girl boss Shiv, who can never do it right. She's the one who steps up to the plate. She's the one who gives yeah. the statement at the end. And guess what? The statement, not good. And if, she's the one who tells Connor. And she's the one who tells Connor. She's yeah. the one who gets things done. The boys are ineffectual. She is, the, she puts on her pants. She puts her hair in a little ponytail, which was kind of insane that she wore a ponytail to her brother's wedding. <laughs> like right, she didn't right, get her hair done. Right. But she, you know, hair up in a bun, hair, she ties her hair up, she puts on her pants, and she gets the job done, even if the job, it doesn't necessarily like, she doesn't necessarily do a great job. Um, so I, if there's one performance or one person that I would single out as like, deserves like the accolades and the yeah. and the flowers. If for me, it has to be Sarah. I should clarify. She's the one who volunteers to tell Connor that the dad isn't coming to the wedding. Yeah. Uh, she's not who tells him that the dad's dead. That's true. Yes, <laughs> they yes, sort of tell him together, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. No, she's incredible. I mean, everyone is doing something different. But what I liked about how that's all integrated is that it was, yes, these were different reactions. It was denial. It was some sort of I guess Kendall's acceptance. Except, yeah, but a weird, and also like yeah. business moves because he was like, we need to figure out what our next move is. Like, Well, right, because not just a father has died, a boss has died, a shareholder has mm-hmm. died, a, you know, a, an American Titan or whatever, however yeah. Shiv described him at the and end. And the there. stock prices are reflecting that as yeah. they tumble, tumble, tumble. Yeah, and watching episode. those wheels start to spin. And I think that when a sudden death happens, there is, of course, the initial shock. And then even minutes later, there can be that sort of like, a weird deadening, a numbing feeling. Mm-hmm. And to see the kids go through that where they're just kind of sitting and being like, what do we do? Yeah. Like, I, not like, what do we do with our lives? But like, what do we do right now? Yes. When like, literally, what are what we, we supposed <laughs> to be doing? Like, you know, at one point they're talking about, I think this is later in the episode when like they're waiting at the airport maybe mm-hmm. um, about like what to do with a funeral. And uh, Kendall says, we'll get a funeral off the rack. We could do Reagan's with tweets. Reagan's with tweets. And it's like, okay, so now you're back to that cynical (laughs) Roy kind of. And that's a joke, too. Like, he's kind of being funny, but he's also kind of not. And so I think just watching them process this in a way that was, each character was distinct, but it wasn't like, we weren't getting archetypes. Yeah. They were true to the characters, and they worked in relation, and they kind of kept shifting as different dynamics happened. Mm -hmm. And and I thought it was just really well done. It was super well done. I do want to know 
I I just shouted out Sarah Snook, but I do think we also, I would definitely shout out Alan Ruck, who now for two episodes in a row yeah. has delivered some of the most devastating lines I've ever seen on camera. I mean, I think this episode, once he finds out the news so much later than his siblings, because they sort of don't tell him, they sort of forget to tell him, because Connor's sort of the, you know, the forgotten son. He says, He never even liked me. Hey, sorry. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't even know what I mean. He did. He did. I just, I never got the chance to make him proud of me. (laughs) I can't even speak about how sad that is. Yeah. Well, he never liked me. And then just a beat or two later, I never got to make him proud. And it's like, okay, so this is the war within him. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that we have to be careful about with Connor as we go forward this season is that he has had now two episodes back to back where he has been sensitively rendered and uh, we feel for him. He's done the kind thing or the gracious thing, kind of trying to free will. We'll talk more about their their wedding at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. But um, he's bad. Yeah, he's like, bad. Uh, don't remind me that ourselves. he's bad. He, in uh, <laughs> having no politics, he has the worst politics. Yes. And he's r- probably running for president and we need to be wary of him because now he, he has an emotional... Well, I'm going to push back on this because you're right that he's bad. But come on. Like, he's like, I've never felt probably as much empathy. You know, his empty wedding, his dad is dead who never and he's sort of right. He never really liked Connor that much. Like, that's the thing that's the reason why it's devastating is because he's not wrong. Connor is right. The whole loony cake thing. That is his mom. That was crazy. That was crazy. What happened? Oh, uh, his when his mom got carted off to when the Logan men- sent to, his mom yeah. to a mental mental. He ate cake for a week because that was the only way to get him to calm down or whatever. And it's just like, well, there's a whole huge backstory. There's a huge that yeah. we barely touch on. That like, and I wonder because Brian Cox gave some interviews about the episode to the New York Times and to Vulture, and he said that there are he's not out of the show completely. There are some flashbacks. To, um, oh, interesting. Yeah, there are some okay. flashbacks that happen. At some point this season. So I wonder, I mean, I doubt that it's probably Connor and the Looney Cakes, but I'm curious to see how that gets weaved into the fabric of yeah. the show. But I, you're right. It's important. I'm glad that you've reminded us that Connor is bad because right now I'm like, oh my God, I feel, I feel of all the Roy children, I might feel the most for him. Eh, I don't know. That's kind of hard. Which I one mean, do you feel? Do you feel? Do you... I feel bad. I think, I think that. In the moments of this episode where they are really just standing in the wreckage before the, the the gears start turning, you're just like, oh, these are all broken people. Yeah. You know, and they are full adults and it's their responsibility to like work on that brokenness and not be harmful to the world, which is what their company is and what <laughs> Connor potentially will be if he becomes president. Like these are clumsy sort of titans wielding a lot of power. And, yeah. and we should always keep that in our mind when we consider them. But yeah, I mean, I think that this show is so clever about – its portrait of sort of like insidious wealth and power uh, is that much more insidious because these people are human beings. It mm-hmm. would be really easy if we could just – I think some of the, these people in real life are sociopaths. Yeah. But like not all of them are and that makes them both I guess sort of sympathetic to some degree but also more dangerous Yeah, in more a way. Dangerous. You know? uh, and I think that, that that complicated portrait that we can feel something for but also be sort of scared of and sort of uh, repulsed by – is why the show works, you know. And I think a really good uh, example of that, this episode, who also, another phenomenal performance is Kieran Culkin, Roman. Yeah. Right? He has to do the monstrous thing. He has to fire, his last thing that he ever has to do for his dad is fire Jerry because yeah. the Mad King is 
going crazy and is losing his marbles. And he doesn't really want to do it, but he does it because, you know, Logan tells him to. And that is so painful. And like, and J. Smith Cameron does excellent work too yeah. in terms of that interaction where like he, you can feel his guilt. You can feel that he knows that he shouldn't be doing this. Right. He shouldn't be firing Jerry. And that it doesn't make any sense. And yet, like, he takes orders from his dad because that's his dad. That's he's yeah. gonna he's gonna listen to his dad. Yeah. Um and also the like another devastating thing with Roman this episode is that like he think he thinks and he probably thinks that like Logan heard that like voicemail that he left. Yeah. You can't fucking keep expecting me to bend over for you like being cunty. So I'm just asking. So uh yeah, that's the question. Are you a cunt? Okay, give me buzz. And that was the last thing that he ever said. Maybe to it killed time. him. Maybe, it, literally, maybe <laughs> it killed him. I don't think so, but uh, I don't think Logan has thicker or had thicker skin than that. No. And um, I bet he didn't hear. It. I, yeah, I'm sure no. he didn't hear it. No, um, I think that like also the stuff with Jerry is that it, when Logan says to him, "You should be the one to tell her," you know, you're close. He's firing her because of this thing with Roman, this dick pic, and mm-hmm. this uh, whatever Logan thinks happened or what actually did happen. And if he's going to bring Roman close closer to the fold, closest to the fold of all the siblings, Jerry can't be there. She can't be which there. is sexual harassment. I mean, that's and like, she has a lawsuit. She yeah, should be yeah. hiring those lawyers that yeah. Tom Wamsgan has on retainer and, like, and suing Logan. <laughs> Roman turns mean, and he says, "You know, we'll basically if you try to go the law route, we're going to screw you over. You yeah. know, but we're going to stuff you with tons of money, so don't do it." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so maybe if we're talking about Jerry, we should bring in the other kind of way Star Royco mm-hmm. people who are mostly on the plane. And I also thought that was, you know, obviously the kids are going to get all the sort of accolades about you know, this performance, this episode. But like all those actors on the plane were in a very different way. Incredible. as well. Oh, so fantastic. Because, I mean, they're dealing with the actual trauma of like watching a man die yeah. while also like being trapped in the air and, you know, not knowing, you know, what to do and how to process that. And I thought they did such an amazing job. I love that Carolina came to the forefront. I wrote down, Carolina is who Carrie thinks she is. Carolina is that girl. Carolina is business. She, you know... She, she should honestly. She should take the throne. The way Star Wars co-throne. Just an incredible performance, and just her her sort of breezy but like firm, uh, you know, hand in sort of guiding. Like, okay, I think we need to make a, a phone a call list and do all this, yeah. and then when Carrie comes out distraught, uh, chuckles the clown, chuckles as she's called. And they all sort of are like, oh, no, no, we want to include you, but why don't you go lie down? Yeah. You've had a shock. Like, they're not going to be like, it's th- that that sort of old succession thing of pre-Logan's death succession thing of like, fuck off and go away. Yeah. They're more sort of like, no, 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 let's not rock the boat and rock the plane. Mannered, Just go, like, yeah. Go take, a, go take a nap. Go sip on your, you know, your your little sippy cup in the corner and like, because right. the adults are talking. And right now you are not in a place emotionally or, you know, mentally to have a seat at this table. Right. And And is that going to be – could that possibly be what the firm management of Waystar Royco looks like without Logan? If the guy who yells a lot is gone, can there still be that same sort of like ruthlessness but in a quieter and perhaps more even sinister (laughs) tone? I think that's an interesting thing to consider. But there also were moments of genuine tenderness. You know, I think Frank – you know, Frank reminded me, like, I've known this guy pretty much your whole life or longer than you've been alive or whatever it is. And, like, as much as these people were all sort of remoras on the great big shark whale or whatever that was Logan, 
there maybe was at some point some genuine like friendship, friendship yeah, camaraderie. That is a word that we don't really uh, bandy about that much with Logan, but I think is fair and I think is important to bring up, especially for like Frank and those, you know, those people on the plane and, you know, like raising a glass to Logan, but also just the the uncertainty of like not knowing whether or not he's dead. We talk about how succession is like a drama, but really it's like a sort of a dark comedy. And this episode was obviously lighter on jokes than previous one-liners and previous episodes. Yeah. But still, there was something sort of morbidly hilarious, darkly comic that they like, didn't really know if he was dead or not. Right. And they had to sort of press on and sort of, you know, figure out what to do with the company, what to do with the kids. Kendall, you know, being <laughs> absolutely ridiculous, trying to get the pilot on the line. It's like, actually, no, the pilot has to fly the plane, honey. He can't. He can't. Yeah, yeah right. Of, like, let's be let's be rational here. Let's be rational. And somebody has to be rational. And the rational people are Carolinas. It's our Franks. They're the people who are sort of like steering the ship that has now completely gone off course and that is may never be able to be righted again. I will yeah. say before we move on. I mean, Tom, having Tom, mm. the most mealy-mouthed man in the world, have to tell you that your dad is yeah. maybe dead because he can't really – he never really says exactly what it is. And he already, like – Tom already obfuscates and, like, sort of speaks in sort of riddles sometimes and doesn't just, like – he's the opposite of Logan being, like, fuck off, yeah. telling you to your he's face. He's not direct. He's not direct. So I thought that was also a brilliant decision creatively to have Tom be the one to sort of deliver the news to the kids because, like – Tom never says what's actually happening. But I thought he did a good job. I mean, I think that, like, you know, he, just a scene or two prior, he gets off the phone with Roman and says, fucking asshole, which is like, we don't haven't really heard Tom be that sort of like, I think Tom at that moment felt very secure in his position at the company. Mm-hmm. And then when Logan dies, he calls Greg and says, I've lost my protector. Yes, and, and like, <laughs> you know, but I think that the instinct to call the kids and be like, he might still be conscious. Do you want to talk to him before he goes? It would be a goodbye. And he's stumbling over that, but that's a hard thing to say. It is a hard thing to say. This crackling connection, phone connection. That, it was nice to see the gloves come off for a little bit and Tom just be like, hey, guys, like who I've, I've known all of you for years. Like Mm -hmm. your dad is probably dead. Like, Let's put the guns and swords and knives aside for a second and, like, here, let me just let you have a human moment, yeah. hopefully, with your dad. You yes. Know? I, I thought, you know, th- th- we're, sh- we're seeing different sides of the character. And then, of course, Tom snaps right back and is like, hey, Greg, uh, there's a file on my computer. Yeah, I need, <laughs> you need to, to delete, delete it. it. And then empty the trash, <laughs> and, which is like, Tom, they can still find those, by the yeah. way. <laughs> like, that doesn't mean it's gone. Yeah. Um, because, you know, he is now in a vulnerable position, which maybe at the end at the airport where he gets a hug from Shiv and like clearly and then she calls him over to the car after mm-hmm. that. Like maybe he's like, OK, am I am I safe? But he's thinking strategically, yes. as are, of course, the rest of his you know coworkers. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is that is true. He does provide them a, you know, a final something akin to a final genuine moment yeah. with their father and each of the siblings sort of. Stumbles. I mean, and that's well, that's the thing that like this is gonna maybe sound a little cliche, but like death is like artless. It's a graceless, you know, yeah. it's like it's not a clean cut, easy thing most of the time. So it makes sense that Tom would sort of be stumbling through this and that each kid stumbles through their last sort of phone call with their father, you know, not knowing if he's alive, if he's not alive. You know, I love you, but they also kind of hate like I think even Kendall says, like, I love you, but like I don't forgive I yeah. don't forgive you. He can't forgive you. And I guess this is like a question that I have for you. Can you love someone if you can't forgive them? That's sort of what Kendall says. 
I think that there are no rules to that kind of thing. I mean, I think it's just a feeling you have. And 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 I think that love for these people and I think a lot of people is just an intensity. It's a description mm -hmm. of of degree. It's not like it's not defined by affection necessarily. It's it's like it I mean it could be I guess it could be hate. That's another kind of passion, but like I think that, you know, the show ending with Kendall's face, like, he is kind of the first among equals in terms of this ensemble cast. And, yeah. Like, he has had the most contentious relationship with his father over the course of the show. I think there's relief there. I think I think what it really is for Kendall is, you know, he thinks about these – he thinks he's this great sort of warrior guy. He mm -hmm. makes so many mistakes and he's <laughs> a buffoon in a lot of ways. But, like, if you if he cynically looked at it, which, of course, he will, it's like – I beat him. Yeah, he won at the end of the day. Right? Especially because Kendall, by some metric, almost died last season. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so maybe Logan would have beat him then, even though he, you know, like odds were, of course, that Kendall would outlive his father. Yes. But like maybe, you know, but reflective of Roman saying, you're a monster, you'll get better. Like maybe they, these kids really believed in somehow... He we was kind immortal. of joking about Rupert Murdoch last week, that, that he can't, couldn't die. Yeah, but he, I think there was 100% somewhere deep down all of them thought that he was sort of going to live forever in a way. Yeah. He was immortal because yeah. he was too big. Think he was too big to fail. In As Carrie ways. Bradshaw would say, he's the Chrysler building. He's the Chrysler. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so for them to be dropped back to earth and sort of faced with the fact that the biggest person in all of their lives, and I think that's the thing that's so fantastic about this show and uh, Succession because it is a family drama. And for each of the siblings, the biggest person in their lives is Logan, was right. Logan, right. the towering monster daddy figure. And for that, like, boom, the you know, to pop that bubble, to burst that bubble with his death, I think they all sort of didn't think that was ever going to happen in a way, even though it was yeah. always going to happen. And that's the thing about, our, you know, <laughs> human emotions in our brain is that we can hold these two things to be true that are like contrasting and conflicting like of course he was going to die but he was also never going to die there and was some magical thinking happening in that family mm -hmm. still watching we'll be back in just a moment and when we return a conversation with justine loop and we'll also look at who will replace the late logan roy in his media empire so the Shakespeare rules. If it's a tragedy, it ends with a death. If it's a comedy, it ends with a wedding. We had both. We got, yeah, we did get both. We had I both. mean, can we really call Connor and Willow what happens? Not a wedding. I mean, it is a wedding, but oof. Was that sweet? I, I can't tell. If I'm on that boat and I'm one of the last guests, like we saw a couple of bridesmaids. <laughs> like three people On left. this empty boat, this cloudy sky. Everyone's cleared out because like basically the guy who made all this possible is just dropped dead, on a, dead in a toilet. <laughs> Was that the right decision? I so speaking of acting, I think we got to talk about Justin Loop, who does amazing yeah, work as yeah. Willa. This episode, where I would love to say wholeheartedly, like, yeah, like you know, at least if there's one silver lining, like Connor and Willa, like they tie the knot and that's happy. But the face that she makes, the eye, the the slight little eye roll movement, a uh, movement that she makes when Connor point blank asks her, "Are you just marrying me for money?" I think it was so telling and so fantastic and just so like. She can't say yeah, – she says that's a part of it. Like, There's some secure, financial security as part of it, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that there was a beautiful little scene before anyone knew who was dead with uh, Willa's mom, Sylvia, where Willa gets kind of taken away by somebody and then it's just Connor and Sylvia who are maybe closer in age. I, there's, I was literally like, yeah. Connor should be marrying Willa's mom and not Willa. And she's that like, would oh, make more sense. look at all the young people. 
I heard a few of them moaning about the rich. Yeah, well, they don't mind the taste of your champagne. Mr. Scrooge just happened to be a huge wealth creator. They don't mention that in Mr. Dickens' books, do they? No, they do not. Very convenient. And uh, she earlier had been you know, saying to Willa, like, uh, he'll take care of you. Like, that was a really interesting window into who, where Willis from. Yes. Um, I also wanted to point out for, you you know, theater, theater nerd, fellow yes. theater nerd, Cynthia Mace, the actress who plays her, was the original Harper in the original workshop of Angels in America at the Mark Taper Forum in L.A. I, I literally just got chills fully down she my spine. She gave the original night flight to San Francisco monologue. That is absolutely, un, that's Isn't absolutely that cool? unbelievably cool. Oh, my God. And she has one scene in this, but she's so good. So IMDb says she's coming back for one more episode. So I'm I'm, I'm fingers crossed. Or I two hope, more, actually. I two hope more. there's yeah. more. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's so good. And I thought, oh, yeah. that makes sense. The theater actress. Yeah. They, really do, they really do come through um, on the show. Um, wait, I, I do... Oh, wow, I'm, like, sort of blown away by that. <laughs> um, but, yes, it was for Willa. When Willa has to say that she's happy, she says, I'm happy. Yeah. But her face betrays that she's definitely yeah. not exactly completely happy. So yeah. that wedding is not completely happy. But I guess that does bring us to sort of maybe the more brass tacks of it all. Like, uh, the the we saw this, the stock prices sort of falling, falling, falling um, on, the, on a phone screen by the end of the episode. Yeah. What's going to happen to the business now that Logan is dead? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I love there is a really poetic line there where Roman, you know, looks at his phone and, and says to Shiv and Kendall, there he is. That's dad. <laughs> the, the drop. The drop. You know? And it's like that's I mean, of course, that's how they think of him. Um, we, we, let's talk about who succeeds after in a bit. But first, men, speaking of Willa, our great coworker Julie Miller has an interview with Justine Loop, who plays Willa. Yes. Um, unfortunately, because HBO was being very strict about this, she was not able to talk about specifically episode three very yeah. much. But it's a good talk about like a Willa as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's hear that now. Um, well, Willa and Connor have kind of had a roller coaster relationship. What did you think when you saw that she was going to accept Connor's proposal at the end of last season? Were you happy? I was so excited. I don't know how much of it was my, you know, my ambitions for Willa and kind of feeling like, oh, that's the right thing. And how much it was just me feeling like as Justine loving Alan Ruck and loving working with Alan Ruck and being excited that that's what's going on in uh, our storyline. I can't really tell how much was me and how much was my feelings about, you know, just like what was right for Willa, but I was really excited. Willa obviously makes Connor happy, but I'm always wondering what would make Willa happy. Like, I want Willa to just, you know, get justice and happiness. What do you think that would look like? You know, I think that Connor does make Willa happy. It's so funny because everybody is kind of like, I just read Karen uh, in an interview talking about how he feels like Connor is the most like evil of all the siblings because he bought a human and has trapped her, <laughs> trapped her for all these years. And I, I kind of feel like there's something about, I think Willa is entertained. I think she loves to be entertained. I think she loves to be kind of stimulated. She's very artistic. And I think there's something about Connor's eccentricity that actually is both kind of terrifying and like disturbing to her, but also incredibly um, endearing and, and colorful and kind of, um, I think she gets a kick out of it. So um I think she likes that. I think she really, security makes her happy. You know, um, I think she, 
obviously loves the fiscal security he provides and the fact that he enables her artistry, but also I think that she likes the security that she finds in him emotionally. Like he's a very reliable partner as um, kooky as he is. He's always there for her and he always kind of comes to her defense. So I don't know. I think she actually like, I think Connor does make her happy and there's things that are clearly, you know, not ideal, but uh, there's something good going on there, in my opinion. Right, right. I'm curious, what do you think Connor uh, and Willa's prenup looks like? You know, knowing Connor, I almost feel like he was very, very generous. <laughs> I can see I mean? that too. If someone in his family looked at it, they'd go, oh my God, dude, what the F are you thinking? <laughs> Imagine I imagine like it's going to work out well for Willa if something goes wrong, you know? <laughs> right. It must have been fun for you because you get to be a little bit of a bystander to these insane characters over oh, the years totally. and just yeah. sort of sit back and watch. Has there been anything that surprised you about the characters' turns, especially in the last season? Yeah. Um I was surprised by Roman's kind of sensitivity that comes through. Um, he seems to have more in, uh, emotional intelligence than he's had prior, or and he seems more kind of um, compassionate than some of the other like characters on the show. Just the way that he kind of protects Shiv in the moment where she, right after she talks to Tom, and the way that he protects Connor. I don't know. I He always kind of waves in and out of um, me feeling like repelled by him and then me feeling endeared to him. So I guess Roman is always surprising for me. And then I think it's hard to distinguish like how much of it is, is um, Shiv evolving and how much of it is just Sarah Snook's performance evolving. But I just keep on seeing more and more out of that character and – it's just so exciting to watch. I mean, I feel like in these, in the first episode of this season, I was just like floored by just a completely refreshing and kind of new energy out of Shiv and slash Sarah's performance. And um, so, yeah, there's no, there's no, like, I'm never, like, I'm never not surprised by how, what I'm seeing, you know, it's like, everything is just so, it, it's such an exciting show. And the performances are so exciting. And so I guess I'm constantly surprised by both <laughs> the content and the performances and just seeing my friends and that have become like my family members just kind of rise into new levels. Um, it's it's really been wild and, and I'm really, yeah, grateful for the ride. Yeah. Oh, well, speaking of the final season, I think I heard that Alan Rook said that his final scene was with you and the actors who play um, his siblings. Was that mm -hmm. your final scene as well with those, mm -hmm. those actors? That's a good core group. How was that to film? Oh, God. That day was just like I kept on – I walked in and I just like immediately started sobbing and like just seeing all the people that I love in that space – 
it just made me cry like immediately. So I remember that right out the gate. I was just like, okay, we're going to, this is going to be one of those days. Like I remember <laughs> warning the makeup people and I was like, listen, this is going to be the worst day ever for you <laughs> because I'm going to just be ruining all of your work over and over again. <laughs> um and then I would like, I would sob and then I'd kind of like pull out, like I, it would like pass through me and I'd be like, okay, we're good. And then I'd be like, kind of like, oh no, like, am I not going to feel this anymore? Like, am I like numb now? Like I really had like a full <laughs> like roller coaster of a ride with the whole thing. I'd be like, no, I'm totally good now. Like, I guess like that was it. I mourned it and it's over. And then it, it would hit me again and I would just like start sobbing. And then I'd be like, okay, we have to like get it together and start... So it was just in and out and in and out of these kind of waves of mourning. And then the minute that we actually wrapped, it was just like an embarrassing affair. I just remember like, I, I remember sobbing, like, you know, when children cry and they're just like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is a nightmare. It was like that <laughs> kind of crying, which I can't believe I'm like... I'm being honest about, but yeah, it was embarrassing. And I remember just being, um, at like both, both like feeling completely comfortable being like that and also horrified at myself and kind of just, and, and trying to take it all in at the same time and everyone just being so like loving and hugging everyone goodbye. And it's just, yeah, feeling like this kind of dream state. <laughs> it was wild. Um, <laughs> was anyone else crying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would have won an award for, like, the <laughs> level of, like, just complete uh, blubbering on the floor, like, just sopping wet with tears, kind of crying. But everybody was crying. And people that were, like, I never expected Kieran to cry. Kieran was crying, you know. Really? Um, yeah. It wasn't his last day either. It was just Ruck and I. Um so it was just really sweet to have all of them kind of surround us and like show us how much they loved us. And yeah, it was tough. I also, every time I would look at Alan, I would have to not look at Alan in between takes. Cause I was like, I'm done for if I look at him and I like absorb, uh, how much I love him and how terrible this is, that this is it for these two. It's going to be, worst case scenario kind of material. So I just tried not to look at him. Um, yeah. Was there a rap party or did you get to celebrate after that? Yeah. Luckily we've got to celebrate a few times. I think we just really, we really maxed out our celebrations. We did like a rap party right after, um, we did like a, a drinks thing, like, bef like after the table read with a lot of people. And then we did a rap party after we wrapped in the, wrapped the season and then we did another rap party right before um right before I'm sorry yeah we did another rap party the night before the premiere and then the night of the premiere we also did like a huge like dance party at the premiere so we really like honestly we used up all of our parties I think that I think we, we had a, more rap parties than than we deserved <laughs> Oh, I think I saw that there was video of Brian Cox like dancing to I forget some incredible. Call me maybe. Hips. It was call me maybe. Oh, what a moment! Yeah, yeah with Jesse Armstrong together, uh, those two in what, the middle of it. Yeah, I know. What, I was just. What was it like to witness that? 
Oh, it was just the best. It was like so cathartic and like fun and like it was just so cool that they got in there and both of those guys danced with everyone because all of us are real dance. Like Sarah Snook's like a crazy dancer, loves dancing. I love dancing. Juliana loves dancing. Nick loves dancing. Like we all love dancing. We do it all the time. So to have them join us and I just remember it was just so beautiful seeing them dance together and like fun to dance with Jesse, who's like my boss, who I kind of like admire in this way where it's like I'm a little intimidated by him. And then I was like, I remember at one point, like kind of like <laughs> booty dancing with him and just be, like getting up against him being like, well, this is the moment. If ever there's going to be a time that we break the boundaries, this is going to be it. And it was just so much fun. It was just so cool. And I remember like reading, someone sent me a tweet just like a few days later being like, how, like, we'll check out the cast of Succession dancing to Call Me Maybe by like, it's the best song they've ever heard. And I kind of remember feeling like, oh my God, this is the best song I've ever heard. Because we were just so like full of joy and it was so fun, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm just in denial for the moment about the show ending. I'm just taking one episode at a time and it'll, yeah, there'll be a morning process. Totally. It's a tough one to absorb for me too. I don't think I've really wrapped my mind around it. I don't know if I ever will. I think that there's, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd even call it denial. I just think it's like too big. It's just too big to like fully comprehend <laughs> that it's over. Right. You know, the experience was just so like, all encompassing and like momentous and important that it's like, how do you even process that being over? Well, thanks to our colleague, Julie Miller for that chat with Justine loop for more from that conversation, head to vanityfair.com. After the break, Richard and I are going to unpack and sort of break down who is going to take the Waystar Roy co throne. now that Logan is officially dead and gone. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Review's Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, Chris, so... We have to end the episode as we do every week, but I think we have more to talk about this week. Yeah. Uh, because as I said, a major the, the the king on the chessboard has been taken off. So yeah. there's 
a queen in cherry form, maybe? She <laughs> well, was wearing a nice crown I in know, this a little episode. fascinator, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't that, wasn't that little. <laughs> that was sort of, yeah, it was more of a Kentucky hat. Derby hat in a way. Oh, 100%. It was Kentucky Derby meets Royal Wedding. <laughs> the perfect yeah. ex, which honestly yeah. kind of is Connor and, you know, uh, Willa is sort of our, you know, Princess Diana in a way. It was know? kind of fun that she was sort of dressed as like the mother of the bride. <laughs> she really was. Or the mother of the groom, you know. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, obviously the big question now is, and I actually, it kind of feels like two questions. Um, who is going to take over the company and which of the kids is going to emerge at the head of the sibling pack? I don't think those two things are necessarily the same Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. What are you thinking right now? Well, it's so interesting because like there were so many moves that were being made right before Logan died, re-firing Jerry. And they talked about firing Sid Peach at ATN. Like he was a Jerry and Sid are out. Right. And we have to believe that like neither of those things are true because it like the paperwork didn't go through. (laughs) Like it's like. There's like no record of it. There's no record of it. So I think my girl Jerry's back in the thick of it. I think she's. You know, she's uh, has the potential to make some money moves and to like weasel in because the ship is like sinking, right? It's right. like the thing; it's everything is rocky, and she can uh, batten down the hatches and sort of take control of the wheel. And it's she, you know, her things with Roman are weird and still bad. But for maybe her. they have a clear path to some something real. I don't know. Yes, if they link up you know, and if they uh, combine forces, you know, there's a vacuum of power now, right? And someone's got to fill it. And Jerry knows that she was almost on the out, so I think she's probably even hungrier right. to sort of get back in now that Logan is gone. Yeah, she got really, you know, by the skin of her teeth, got through this. And, you know, she does say something to Roman when he's like, oh, he's not happy how you deal with the Justice Department stuff. And she's like, I tapped us, danced us through a thunderstorm without us getting wet. Mm-hmm. She knows she did well. And yeah. she knows that the reason Logan wanted her out probably was this interpersonal stuff, which, again, is like f- suable. <laughs> yes, it's suable. Um, maybe, although maybe she was violating some sort of company rule. I don't know. Mm. But yes, I would agree with you that I think Jerry seems best positioned. Because the thing about Carl and Frank and other folks like that is they were always seconds and they were always kind of seconds, thirds, fourths. Like like Jerry at one point was going to become interim CEO at one point, mm-hmm. you know, like and yeah. especially because in last season with the cruise ship stuff, like a woman taking charge of the company would be good optics and great. all that kind of thing. And so I do think Jerry is very well positioned, which I suppose could mean that Roman is or it could mean the opposite. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned a woman taking over the company. And we sort of talked about this before. And this might be where the family meets the business, right? Shiv is stepping up to the plate in bigger ways than any of her other siblings thus far. Delivering the statement, taking charge. And I could totally see a world in which Shiv sort of emerges as, right. you know, the woman king, if you will. Right. So do we think the kids are still going to buy PMG? <sighs> well, do they, they have bound? the money? <laughs> well, well, do they have the money, right? Are they Elon Musk like bound to it now? Because they've sort of like made the overtures and maybe they've signed some paperwork. I don't know. Do they have to go through with it? Yeah, I feel like they probably, In if I'm... If I'm to guess, <laughs> I I feel like they probably do, but now the Gojo deal is completely it has to be fucked. There's yeah. no way the Gojo deal goes the way that it was going to go before Logan died, and given you know what you know the falling stock prices, uh, there's no way it sells for what 
Logan wanted it to sell for. Oh, I wouldn't think so. And that was where yeah. their money, that's where they were going to get the money that's to buy why Pierce. Shiv wanted the plane to stay in the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, she said, for another beat. I love, I love that. It's like, what does that mean? An hour? What? Like, two does hours? What does that mean? Yeah, till sundown, like till the markets close. Like, yeah. um, And that's it was interesting to see Shiv being calculating because you could kind of imagine. A, you know, we were talking with Bess Levin, our coworker, uh, the other week about the real Murdochs and the schism between James and Lachlan, where Lachlan is really hardline conservative, probably more than his dad even. Mm-hmm. And James is not lefty, certainly, <laughs> but like maybe more center, yeah. which would be Shiv. You know, totally. uh, Connor, I guess, could be Lachlan, but he's not really smart enough to in the seat of power. <laughs> so could Shiv somehow go ahead and buy the more progressive liberal PMG with its MSNBC-esque cable network and go to war with her brothers who run ATN mm-hmm. and everything? Maybe they don't sell to, to Matson at all. Um, and maybe these two scions or these scions of this media empire become two media empires. Well, it's interesting because you think you would think in the wake of their father's death that would bring the siblings together and that would sort of be Ooh, something short Okay, so, <laughs> so that's the thing. I think that's yeah. something that's worth discussing because I think I would think, you know, that like, you know, the grief would trauma bond, right? Would right. bond them together. Right. But I think you bring up a very good point that it could easily send them because, you know, there's a will at stake. You know, there's right. money. There's things to divide beyond even just Waste or Royco that could easily have them at each other's throats. And Kendall already seems to be sort of like making moves, like planning next steps in certain ways. So I could definitely see Shiv, you know, spinning off to Pierce and like going to war with ATN in that way. But yeah. again, that I guess that depends on do they have the money? I feel like they might have been cut out of the will will. I think they're still in this sort of like we get money from the company, yeah. but like Logan's personal fortune, whatever that is, like maybe they don't have access to. Yeah. I guess it's for me it's a question of how happy does the show end? Because here's a scenario where the, most of the kids are contented. Roman has been talking about, why aren't we buying jet skis and sushi? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Maybe he's like, you know, he gets a couple episodes past this point and says, you know what? I don't want this. And walks away and just lives life rich, maybe with Jerry, maybe not. Kendall takes over the company and reforms it. <laughs> so he does improve on his dad's uh-huh. legacy. And then Shiv goes into like, returns to her origins and goes back to like democratic politics. Yeah. And then, I don't know, maybe Connor's president. I don't know. <laughs> but like... There is a way where the kids, like, do, of their own accord, realize, oh, this thing we've been scrambling for, we don't actually want. Like, finally, well and truly, we don't want it. I don't know if that's what the show is headed toward. Yeah. I mean, I'm now going back to uh, some of Logan's last words. They, he loves them, but they are not serious people. And I find it hard to believe that Kendall being an unserious person is has the capacity to reform to to improve upon Logan's right. uh company and Logan's vision and Logan's plan. So it does feel if anything I think your um prediction that like it's all going to go up in smoke is probably more viable than ever because in a way it feels like the only person who could run <laughs> the <laughs> Waystar Royco is Logan, right? You know, maybe it's or as we said last week or you said last week, maybe it's a transformer situation where it's a Jerry and Roman and a bit of this. Where people lo- come together. People yeah. come together to create something that's more than the sum of its parts. But I do think that I keep coming back to that. You're not serious people line. And now they're in a serious situation. They are. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I have to keep in mind is that like if Go- if Gojo were to buy Waystar Royco, the Roy family would still have the cable network because mm-hmm. that's not part of the deal. So 
I don't think that would be enough for them, though. I think if they want to re- retain what their dad had, I think they're going to want everything. Yeah. So, but I do think there is a possibility as we head into this fictional election that, like, okay, so here's my prediction. I'm just going to make mine. Go. For the end of the show. Kendall, who, you know, who was the last person we see in this episode, takes over because the kids say, oh, you've always wanted it most. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the season, he has become evil. Like he is, he has fully become his, his father. father. He He's hasn't beaten father. his father. He has been possessed by his father's yeah. spirit, essentially. Completely. And he just becomes even worse. And he becomes somehow even That's worse. my prediction. Of how okay. The show I'm going to, similarly, I'm going to stick to my guns that I saw from last week. Um, I'm going to put all my money in the, in the Sarah Snook uh, Shiv category. And I think there, I, I, I think it, I think Kendall's going to flame out. I don't think he has it what it takes. I don't think he has it. And I think Roman, it would be way too Game of Thronesy. you know, the little boy becomes the king. Right. We've done that before. We've seen that happen on like multiple shows now. I don't think it's I don't think it's Roman. I think Shiv is going to emerge as the the queen of the family and sort of maybe I could see her getting seduced by um <laughs> By, you know, by the, the familial ties yeah. and the legacy of, you know, of keeping, you know, Logan's legacy alive. I'm really bad at predictions, so I could literally be wrong. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm sure we're both wrong. I mean, I mean, but Shiv did, when she gave the statement, as she's walking away, she sort of ad-libs that she's like, no, we intend to, like, see it, you know, stay, st- see it through. Like, she has now publicly stated her commitment to, to the family being part com- of the company. To being so. part of the company and being part of the family. And I think it's... In some ways, it would be more tragic if it's yeah. Shiv than if it's yeah. Kendall. And I do and think I the think show's going to end on a bleak note. <laughs> yeah, um, but more too. importantly, we want to hear what you think. So um, we say it every week, but this week more than ever, please email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. I think we want to spend some time next week, really, if we get enough emails from from you listeners, going through your theories and sort of unpacking those in addition to recapping episode four. Um, because this is probably the biggest pivot point we've ever had in yeah. the series, uh, here close to the end. So yeah. we want to hear what you think. We're close to the end, but we also still have seven full episodes yeah. to go in terms of to figure out, you know, where this is all going to land. And we can only make so many predictions. We only notice so much, you know, so yeah. we really do love and appreciate it. We'd love to have your takes in our inbox. So please shoot them our way still watching pod at gmail.com this has been still watching from vanity fair our producer is emily elias and we had production help from peyton hayes we had technical assistance from jake loomis steven valentino is our executive producer and our theme music is by alexis quadrado we'll be back next week for episode four until then stay alive (laughs) we'll get a funeral off the rack we could do Reagans with tweaks. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. 
Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.